these words from Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. A curious thought has been occurring to me over these recent weeks as we've been studying through these scriptures about this other realm, the spirit realm, here in these words called heavenly places. And I can't help but observe how some of the most brilliant minds of today, especially our scientists, our physicists, our mathematicians, struggle and go to such great lengths to explain away most things that cannot be seen with their eyes or detected by their instruments, while at the same time being willing to embrace such theories as the existence of other dimensions. Other dimensions, those other realms of space and time that supposedly run parallel to our own physical dimension. And having people and activities much like our own within them just running on a different timeline. The most prominent of those brilliant physicists that I was reading about this past week is Stephen Hawking, a man who lives his life in a wheelchair and can't utter a word of speech. But he is reputed by many to be the smartest man on the face of the earth right now. Hawking, though, freely expresses through his computerized communication that he does not believe in God. He believes that science offers a much more plausible explanation, as he words it, for the origins of the universe. In his new book, The Grand Design, Hawking says that life in other dimensions, those running parallel with our own, is very possible. And he says that the mathematics of the string theory predicts the existence of six extra spatial, hidden spatial dimensions. Now again, along with Stephen Hawking, there are so many other brilliant men and women, especially his followers, who believe those same theories. So then, back to my curiosity. It's been occurring to me. It's this. If the greatest of brilliant minds, such as Stephen Hawking, who is a declared unbeliever in God, can believe that there are other dimensions coexisting right alongside our own, why then do so many of us declared born-again believers, why do we have such difficulty in believing these words of these scriptures that we're studying here today? Belief in these spirit realms that are filled with angels and demons and spirits of saints made perfect and having places such as are spoken about here in Hebrews 12, the city of the living God. That's very little different from believing in those other dimensions that those godless scientists and physicists are so willing to believe in. Now, I myself am not able to comprehend those theories, such as the string theory, so I can't know 
if those are good theories or not. But I have committed my soul to, by faith, believing in the truths of these scriptures. And these scriptures clearly tell me that those other realms spoken about here in the passage that we are reading today, those other realms do really exist. They are filled with creatures and activities. Even though we can't see them and know them through our own physical and natural senses, they are nonetheless as real as real can be. So then, while I don't believe in the other dimensions as being put forward here by Stephen Hawking and other brilliant people, I do very strongly believe in the angels and the demons who live there and have their being there in those heavenly realms. And further, that those angels and demons do every moment of every day reach over into our natural realm and interact with us, with you and me. Because that's what these scriptures tell us. The ones I just read to you and me. Now I want to say this again so that there is no confusion about these words. I do not believe in those other dimensions as put forward by our physicist. I'm simply making this comparison and asking why we born-again believers find it so hard to believe and the simple truths that are expressed here in these words of Scripture. There was a truism also that came to my mind as I studied through this. This is a dichotomy of belief that's taking place here. And this truism is that at some point in all these considerations, both those brilliant physicists and we who are less brilliant as Christian believers, we do actually meet at some point on equal terms. And those terms being faith. Faith. By that I mean that at some point, as the mathematicians perform their calculations, they will always hit a roadblock. Always. At which point they can go no further in their computations. That's because the answers that they are seeking after are always just slightly out beyond their reach. God keeps it that way. And so from that roadblock, they are forced into the position that we believers in God have already reached, and that is to step off the end of their calculations and then go the rest of the way with faith, simple faith. Now, unfortunately for them... Their faith is not in God. Their faith is in their theories. But it is still, nonetheless, a form of faith. Because they cannot prove the theory that they are putting forth. And it's a sad recompense for them. For all their hard, sought-after efforts. They are so renowned for their brilliance. And their searching may very well gain them the whole world, especially in acclaim from their contemporaries. But in the process, sadly, they will forfeit their eternal souls. But again, I think it curious 
that everything that's believed ultimately is reduced down to faith. Faith in something. I'm glad to say that our faith is in Christ and in the teachings of these scriptures. My question again for each of us who count ourselves as devout believers in Christ is this. Are we ready? Are we ready to give up on our own obstinate ways? And by that I mean I have heard too many Christians say, oh, I don't need to believe that there's demons out there. I'm I'm sinful enough all by myself. That's blindness. Blindness. It's obstinance. So I'm asking us here, are we ready to give up on our own obstinate ways and by faith accept and believe the truths that are being presented to us here in these words? Simple words. Verse 12. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The warning coming out of these words is that unless we take the step of faith and begin taking these creatures and their influences and activities into account as we go through our daily lives, then we will forever be fighting wrong battles with wrong people. Always attributing our misfortunes to conspiracies and and mistreatment by our government or by some government agency or to the mean spirits of our co-workers or even our neighbors or even our family members. When the real source of our troubles is first coming out of a whole other place. Those mysterious spiritual realms. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Those that those faces that we see in our anger and frustration. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. May I ask you, personally, as you look around at the goings-on in this world, is it easier for you to take the path of believing that our woes are simply coming out from the minds of ego-driven men, politicians perhaps, government leaders, who are just self-centered, arrogant, or that perhaps your health problem, your problems are just random occurrences, or perhaps that people who try to rob and hurt and kill you They're just doing that because they are mean people. They're greedy people. Is that as far as your rationale will allow you to go? Now granted, yes, all those things most often are very true. People do have big egos. And they are driven by their egos. And they're driven by greed. And they are mean people. Sometimes they're not just mean, they just don't care. But these words, these words before us today, demand that we also ask ourselves, is there something else that's taking place? Are there perhaps some other underlying influences and provocations taking place that we had better consider? These scriptures tell us so, that there are. 
As I mentioned earlier, this friend of mine who walks by that refrigerated door in that convenience market and reaches in and gets beer that she should not have because she is an alcoholic. That there is something else influencing her right at that moment. Not just this sin that's within her, but something more powerful. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Now I do want us to pause here for a moment and go back and remind us of a clearly given truth that must always be remembered as we study through these mystical concepts. As Flip Wilson, the comedian, used to do, you can't blame it all on the devil. His favorite comedic line was, the devil made me do it. There's a truth, a deeper truth, and it is that it does not matter from whence the influence and provocation first comes. Whether it comes out from a person's own mind and soul, as spoken about in James 1, or out from those spirit realms where the devil and his demons roam to and fro seeking whom they may devour. Or or what is in the usual case, both together, working together, our own soul and those demonic forces. The result will always be the same when it comes to God. He will actually hold each and every person involved individually and personally accountable for their behaviors. He'll hold the demons accountable as my friend walked by that refrigerated door. He'll hold the demons accountable, but he'll hold her accountable too for what she does, how she responds. In other words, even if we at first are innocent and are then beguiled by Satan into doing something wrong, we are still held accountable, personally accountable for our misdeeds. And that was clearly demonstrated for us in the way that God dealt with Adam and Eve and also with Satan. Yes, Satan initiated the sin of Adam and Eve by tempting them to eat of that forbidden fruit. And for his sin of temptation, Satan was held personally accountable by God. But listen, so were Adam and Eve, each one of them for their own sin. And that same accountability will be true for you and me as we consider these words here in Ephesians 6. That no matter the beginning source of our sin, we cannot say that we couldn't help ourselves. If we have Christ as our Savior, sin has been defeated within us. And each of us will be held personally accountable for our own behavior. And that's so whether or not we are believers. And that's the reason for this special warning that God is graciously giving to us here. It's a warning that things have not changed over all these many millennia. That Satan is still who he always has been. He's the tempter. He always has been and he always will be. He's the accuser, the provoker of sin. And listen, as we look into the faces of people, whether they be our friends or our family members, or national leaders, or a mugger on the street, or an Arab terrorist. Yes, it is them who are doing the things that they're doing, their unkind and unholy deeds. But these scriptures tell us that they are also being provoked, influenced, sometimes perhaps even controlled. 
by those principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. All of that is taking place at the same time. As I was preparing this message, there was another article on the television about more Islamists, terrorists, beheading more people there in those Islamic states just this past week. And yes, those terrorists were men, just like you and me. And they were exercising their own free will, just as we do. But I have no doubt that they were also being provoked, perhaps controlled from the spirit realms by the devil, by the demons, as they did their awful things. Now, for you and me, what do these scriptures tell us that those principalities and powers are able to do as they reach over from their realm into ours, into our personal realm every day and wage war against us? My best understanding comes from all that took place in the life of that dear saint Job. Job. There in the book of Job, God reveals how he has given Satan certain freedoms. Freedoms to interact with the people of our natural realm. I recommend that book to you, that you read it. But there in the book of Job, specifically to Job and to Satan. And from those scriptures, we can see that the interaction that takes place between Satan and man can be very, very severe. But may I add quickly here that God places limits on Satan in the things that he is allowed to do and the severity with which he can do his awful deeds. And that will always be so. And you and I must never let ourselves get confused in this battle that's taking place. This battle that has Satan and the the demons involved and God, it is not a battle that's between equals. Please do not believe that. Satan is not equal to God. Satan is simply another puny, created being. Powerful, yes. More powerful than us, yes. But puny and insignificant when compared to God. So do not think for a moment that that is a battle between equals. Not so. Here with Job, God is demonstrating how he allows Satan and other demons, those spiritual hosts of wickedness here that we read about, to reach into the life of Job and to bring misery and destruction in so many, many ways. Now, until these miseries started with Job, he had enjoyed such great success. He was hedged about, scriptures tell us, by God and protected from all the many enemies of the world. But then when Satan was unleashed, he and his fellow demons used all the weapons at their disposal to attack Job, first with the weather, and yes, Satan can use the weather, against us. That weather blew down the houses of Job's children and killed them all. Then Satan sent hordes of robbers and thieves to kill Job's servants and to steal all of his animals. And then Satan used the weather again and he brought lightning from the sky to destroy all of Job's fields and his crops. Then Satan brought sores and boils and just awful health suffering upon Job. Then Satan turned Job's wife against him. And then three good friends who had come a long way to comfort and console Job suddenly opened their mouth and brought forth an unending tirade up against his tired old soul. 
Satan's clever. Satan is clever. He knows what each of your and my weaknesses are. How we'll turn in a moment. He'll use whatever weapon that he needs at the moment. He'll use a death in the family. He'll use other kinds of family problems. He'll use financial difficulties, failures. He'll use severe health problems. He'll use problems in our marriages. And he'll use good friends that desert us in our time of need. Why does God allow Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness to attack and to hurt us? As difficult as it may be to accept, God does those things. He gives those allowances to Satan for our good. For our good. There are no random occurrences in life. God is very, very intentional with all that he does. And we're told in Psalm 119 that God is good and he doeth good. Everything that he does is good. Now certainly Job could not, while they were taking place, see through the brokenness of his own condition to appreciate the things that God was allowing to take place in his life. He was miserable. But one thing did come through with Job. He stayed faithful to God and he declared, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's what God wants us to do. And so as a reward for his faithfulness, God restored most all that he lost with great abundance. Can we expect all the things that Satan did to Job to come to us in the very same way with the same severity? Probably not. Most likely not. But Job's circumstance is an example of all the things that Satan is capable of as he plies his warfare against the people of God, as he wrestles from his realm over into ours with all that takes place in our life each day. As for you and me, we really do need to be ready, prepared to face the difficulties of this life. And yes, as warned about here, most all of our suffering will actually be originated out of those demonic realms our family problems your family problems that are taking place right now I know that you and I don't like to associate such things with demons those things that are taking place in the the lives of the ones that we love but on the authority of this word of God that's what's taking place whatever's taking place in your life right now the problems whether what whatever kind of family problems you're having whatever kind of financial problems you're having whatever kind of health problems you and I are having, our relationship problems, they're not random occurrences. It is God giving permission to those demons and those demons doing exactly what demons always do. And they do their evil tasks so very well. Breaking hearts and destroying relationships. What can we do to respond to this battle? Because it is a battle. God calls it that. Fortunately, behind the scenes, God is doing some things himself. One of the things that God does is to help us through the involvement of angels that live within those same spiritual realms. And there are just many different accounts within these scriptures of how God has got his angels out there helping believers like you and me. Good angels sent to do battle on our behalf. Now, should we then, as some of the popular songs of today Suggests, should we call on angels to help us? No. 
No, we're not supposed to do that. Instead, we're supposed to call on God for his help. And as we mentioned in an earlier message, God has assured us in Hebrews 1.14 and other scriptures that he will send his angels to help us. Listen, he says in Hebrews 1.14, Are they the angels, not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? And then one of my favorite verses in Psalm 34, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, you and me, and he delivers them, you and me. But while these angels do come to our aid, you and I must not put our dependence upon them. It is God and God alone who provides our real relief and protection from those in that spiritual realm, that spiritual warfare that's being waged against us. And the best way, listen, the best way for us to find relief and protection from those painful demons is to simply, listen, Submit ourselves to God to resist the devil. Listen to these words. This is from James chapter 4. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When you sense that, those attacks coming on, this is the remedy, to draw near to God. And those demons will flee. Now, even more specifically, here also in this passage, God tells us the, the best remedy and the best protection available comes from our having put on this whole armor of God. Listen to these words. Verse 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Listen, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You and I are not able to do battle with the devil and his demons using our own power and our own wits. He is far more powerful and far more crafty than we are. What we need to do is put on this protection of God. Now next week, we hope to begin to look at this armor that he speaks about here. And as we do look at that whole armor of God, we'll see this wonderful wisdom of God in the way that he provides protection for us as we respond to this war that's being waged against our souls. And I do want you to come and hear, because we'll begin at least one, two, perhaps three weeks on this special armor that God has provided for us. Listen as I close. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.